Man, I feel like all anybody talks about around here is our feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That's a difference in your family versus mine, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 160. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. Hey, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are continuing on in our What's Good Guided Study. We've been talking about all the good gifts that God continues to pour into our lives, and it seems fitting that today we make our way into talking about family. I mean, just such a great gift that God pours into our lives. And while a lot of us probably have a great family, you know, there's probably some of us who have different family situations. And I think that no matter what your family situation looks like, we can probably all still take solace in the family of God that he's blessed us with in the church. Yeah, absolutely. There's a reason that God uses that metaphor, I guess you would say, to describe our relationships. We are brothers and sisters. We have this relationship where we should treat older men, older brothers as fathers and respect them in that way, or mothers for for older women and and then younger women as sisters, all those kinds of things, because there's a special bond. There's a special loyalty, a special love, a special closeness and fondness that we share with one another in a family. And that goes back to one of God's great original creations in that (laughs) marriage bond that he created in the beginning. And I think that's a great way to set it up. And as we get into this conversation starter here, We're going to go back to a daily download episode that we dropped not too long ago, and that was called Grandma Nine Pies. This is what's good. Grandma Nine Pies. Grandmas tend to go a bit overboard around the holidays. My wife's Grandma Dean was a prolific baker, always bringing some of the tastiest desserts to our family gatherings. But you had to be really careful when asking her to bring a dish. One time we assigned her the task of bringing a pumpkin pie to Thanksgiving, so instead of one pie, she brought nine. Of course, from then on, she was jokingly known as Grandma Nine Pies. There's almost nothing we wouldn't do for our families, going above and beyond to express our love. So as we continue to consider God's amazing gifts, let's stop to feel the fulfillment of a fruitful family. So here's the big idea. Family bonds can give us love and acceptance that reflects our Heavenly Father's. Our earthly family prepares us to understand the love we have from our Maker. Since, as Paul said, when you're led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God and have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, in Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. What intimacy and depth we experience both at home and with God. A fruitful family comes as a gift from our Father. He blesses us with richness and fulfillment in our homes. As the psalmist sang, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Psalm 128 and verse 3. It takes a lot of work and cultivation on our part. Still, when the home works well, it shines a light on God's perfect plan for our well-being. But our families aren't always perfect. Maybe it rarely feels like a home sweet home. But don't forget that God's design for the bond that we share extends to our brothers and sisters in the church. As we follow our Lord together, we richly bless each other in unity as if we were blood relatives. So here's the big question. What could you do to bring your family closer in God's love? So follow along with this guided study at BibleGeeks.fm slash good and may the Lord bless you 
and keep you today. Shalom. As soon as I told Sherilyn that I was making a video about her grandma, Dean, <laughs> she knew exactly what story that I was going to bring up there about those <laughs> nine pies. Uh, nine but pies. yeah, the big idea in that conversation starter was that family bonds can give us love and acceptance that reflects our heavenly fathers. And I think you were talking about this metaphor or these comparisons that are made throughout the Bible. And of all the different kinds of comparisons that the creator of the universe could make, you think about what an amazing and challenging way it is to think about God, the creator of all things, as our father. And the fact that we've been adopted into his family, like Galatians talks about. Just becoming brothers and sisters with each other. And in this church family that we have, I mean, these connections that are made, it's so important for us to see that family is something that God really takes seriously. Yeah, I think we talked in that Training Wheels study about how much closer you feel to your physical family yeah. as they grow closer to God, as they become spiritual family. I mean, that's where that that really special bond exists. And uh, the big question that we asked there was, what could you do to bring your family closer in God's love. And that's really what we're just talking about here, bringing each other closer to God, to have a relationship with him. As a, as a dad, I think about my kids, bringing them closer, bringing my wife closer in God's love. We sing this song sometimes, God give us Christian homes, homes where the children are led to know Christ in his beauty who loves them so. And I think that's the idea of this question, not just growing closer, which is important, but closer in God's love? How do we bring our marriages closer in God's love? How do we anchor all of the family's lives confidently in a relationship with God so that, as Paul says in Ephesians 3.17, we're rooted and grounded in love. That's the ground beneath our feet. That's the stability we have as we're standing in the love of God. And so maybe as we get into that conversation, let's uh, move into our icebreaker question which is uh, maybe a little way to lighten the mood. And I guess this question is kind of a meta question because uh, as we lighten the mood, who always lightens the mood in your family? So <laughs> I saw what you did there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think in this family, my family, everybody has their moments, but our five-year-old Nadia is an almost constant ray of sunshine. <laughs> when I went down to get a glass of water just a minute ago before we recorded she came down from bed and said, I just wanted to come down and tell you good night. And she gave me a big hug. And, you know, she's just, she's the one that starts the Christmas carol a lot of the time. She's a peacemaker, a performer. She's just a truly happy person that reliably brings joy to people. And Adrian and I have talked about this special quality that she's always had. She was our one fat, happy, easy baby that just <laughs> always, you know, was satisfied, always had a big smile. She had this hair from birth that just stuck up straight in the front and just looked boisterous. And it's, it's really funny. Even in ultrasounds, she looked like she was waving at us. Like, oh, nice. Hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> so, oh, man. So, uh, Nadia, I think, in our family. What about you? Who lightens the mood? So, yeah, it kind of goes back and forth. But it's it's been something more recently now that mom is living with us. And I am reminded how, as if somehow I could forget how much of, like, a bubbly personality that my mom is and how she can just be, like, that, like you were talking about, Nadia, just this sort of 
truly happy person who's just kind of goofy and she's quiet out in public. So maybe if you know my mom in person, like you might look at her and say, like, I didn't realize she was such a goofball. But like she gets up in the morning and she's just laughing and smiling and she loves to you know, to make jokes and things and just she's always trying to lighten the mood. And it's kind of funny, you know, my wife and I, we are a little bit stoic sometimes and uh, Ashlyn is a little bit that way sometimes. So to see like this stark change in personality in our house now that mom has moved in, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I experienced all the years that I grew up in my house before I got <laughs> married. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's so cool. She definitely has th- these two sides or this, you know, the yeah. the more quiet personality. And I think I've seen that a little bit, <laughs> not not full full blast goofball mode. But yeah, probably really cool. not. She's, she's not too easy to live with when you haven't had your coffee yet. And she's just super excited <laughs> to be awake in the morning. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's get into our first segment here on the episode. And that is Jesus said. We are, of course, going to go to a place where Jesus teaches us about family. And Jesus had a lot to say about family throughout his ministry. And here in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 to 6, is where we see him teaching a really powerful and important lesson about treating our family well. Yeah, he's being challenged about keeping the traditions by the Pharisees and scribes. And he asked them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And he brings up how God had commanded, honor your father and mother. And yet they're saying, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God or is Corbin, he needs not honor his father. And he says, your tradition is voiding the word of God. Again, that's Matthew 15, three through six. So as you look at what Jesus said there, What connects that to this idea of family we were talking about? Yeah, I did a lesson on this verse not too terribly long ago called Turn Tables. Uh, And this was where really just thinking about how Jesus is telling his followers, really all of us, he's challenging us all to see that we have a responsibility to our parents at some point in a way almost like they took care of us when we were little. And I think what Jesus is highlighting here is how family is greater than personal wealth and family is greater than personal comfort. Jesus, Mm. if he hadn't said this about this verse, about this commandment to honor our father and mother, I think a lot of us might get the idea that honoring our parents is really sort of just like a warm, fuzzy feeling that we have towards them or some sort of like, oh, you know, it's a a nice card that I write my parents to say, (laughs) oh, thank you for being my parents or whatever. Just this sort of like mental thing. But I think what Jesus is really saying here is that honor is active. It's that we're sacrificing our happiness for the well-being of those who have taken care of us. And of course, our parents took care of us when we were tiny babies who couldn't do anything. right? And to turn the table and to be able to, to support them is a really important thing that shows them how much we honor them and put them on a pedestal that they deserve to be on in some ways. And so... This actually goes along with the verse that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, where he's saying, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And coupling those two things, I think Jesus is basically talking here about the importance of taking care of our family. So really, I guess the question is, how far are we willing to go? Are we so caught up in trying to hoard money for ourselves or take care of our own retirement plan or whatever it is, Or 
are we thoughtful about our parents? Are we really thinking about like how we can support each other and take care of them? And obviously not only our parents here, our grandparents, anyone in our family who really needs us, anyone in our own household or our relatives, these are people who who we have to be providing for. And I think that's a way of showing them honor. Yeah, that that active honor, right? Yeah. That active family love. I think that's a really helpful point. And I'm kind of on the same page with you. I was thinking about false dichotomies. Have you ever seen that stick figure illustration where one guy says, that's a false dichotomy. And the other guy explains, yes, but we have to embrace false dichotomies because the only alternative is cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> so if you know what a false dichotomy, a false dichotomy is a false dilemma that you're saying that it ha- this has to be true or else this has to be true. <laughs> and the, these false dilemmas arise a lot. One question that sometimes comes up is, who should we prioritize, God or our family? And the correct answer is God, of course. Jesus talks about it in places like Matthew 10, 37. We always obey Christ, no matter what our family wants. But most of the time, that's a false dilemma, and it can get us into trouble. For example, this is kind of a famous example that, unfortunately, or infamous example that has been brought up to me a lot as I started doing the work of an evangelist, preachers who choose excessive ministry work over family responsibilities aren't really choosing God because God commanded you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. God commands you to, as you brought up, look out for your family. And a lot of God's commandments lead us to the proper care of our families. Here, Jesus condemns the Pharisees for allowing people to neglect their parents by devoting money to the temple treasury. It's kind of ironic. Even if They keep this vow to give that money to God. That very gift is a rebellion against God and his (laughs) command to honor their aging parents that need their help. So a lot of the time, I mean, just go to the commandments. A lot of the time, the best way to honor God is to care for your family, to, to look to those around you. I mean, this is why Jesus holds up the greatest command and then puts right next to it the second greatest command to love others as yourself. And a lot of times that means starting with those closest to you in that circle of influence, your direct responsibilities and whatever those family relationships are here in this case, talking about how we we care for our parents. Yeah, I love that idea, though, that sometimes he is talking about how he has come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother. And these family relationships that Jesus is basically saying, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. So you can kind of get the sense if you read that and you say, well, Jesus really doesn't want us to be close with our families. But then obviously you come to a verse like this and you're like, well, wait a second, Jesus, which one is it? And so I think it's important to find that right balance, of course, that God always comes first. But in all of that, serving God does extend a hand out to our family as well. And so obviously Jesus is not saying like, just don't care about your parents at all. It's part and parcel with following God and loving your neighbor as yourself. We honor our parents. We follow Christ's example of taking care of his own mother. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes I think I've heard it said the best way to love your kids is to love your wife. And the best way to love your wife is to love God. You know, I mean, like if we're putting the right priorities in place, then they're not fighting against each other. Everything lines up perfectly because God brings order and harmony to life. 
And that is a great way to move into our second segment here on the episode. And that is flying through the book. I feel the need. The need for speed. That audio clip, by the way, it's kind of like when the song leader chooses it won't be very long to sing before your uh, sermon. You know, (laughs) I hope we can move through the book that we're going to choose here very quickly and that it won't be very long, that we have actually found the need for speed, but we will see if we can or not. Four chapters here in this great book about family. Ruth is where we're going to today. And so I think as we get into this book here and we try to fly through it as quickly as possible, I think Ruth has a lot to teach us about family. And as we get into starting to think about the book here, the writer is a mystery, which is always cool. It's obviously meant for a Jewish audience because he sort of bookends it here. They're in the time of the judges and nearing the end of the book, we find out some interesting information about genealogy here. But this is in the time before David, and this is actually leading us to understand who is in the line of David, and by extension, who's going to be in the line of Jesus himself. And so thinking about Ruth here in this story, she is a really important figure that winds up doing some really powerful things in the history of the children of Israel. Absolutely. And that genealogy at the end leading to Obed and Jesse and ultimately David shows you the main idea behind the book, which is how God's blessing brings that Gentile into the line of Christ. And it shows how prayers, these blessings that happen throughout, which really propel things forward, and these righteous acts by three high-character individuals (laughs) just push this story forward and set the stage for, like you said, a king after God's heart, but ultimately for the savior of the world. And I think as you look at the purpose here in this book, it's really to show that God takes care of his people. God is providing for Ruth and Naomi. And he's providing for them, not miraculously, or he's not just zapping down grain and you know money from heaven. Like He's using <laughs> these family relationships to help take care of them. God is providing for these two widows who are in such deep need, of course, after all the terrible things that have happened in their life. But he leads them to grow in their trust for him and in their faith together, in this epic saga as Boaz, sort of the hero of the story, comes in and really sort of saves the day and leads these two women into a lot of prosperity at the end. Yeah, and right in chapter one, there is this highlighting of a, a loyal love. In verses one through five, tragedy strikes. And then in verses six to 18, after Naomi's husband and two sons have died, her, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, expresses her devotion to her, and she's going to stick with her no matter what. And so they return to Bethlehem. Bethlehem starting to show you already how this is going to lead mm-hmm. to the messianic line, right? <laughs> this is the territory of this line of people that Jesus is going to come from. And the key verse here, just famous verses, chapter one, verses 16 to 17. In fact, Adrian and I referenced these verses in one part of our wedding ceremony, as many people do. Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. 
really powerful commitment. Like you, you were talking about active honor. Oh, <laughs> this yeah. is, I'm putting my life at stake kind of honor and devotion. And a key word here is this word chesed, this, this word, Hebrew word that's translated kindly in chapter one, verse eight. In chapter two, verse 20, it's repeated again as kindness. And then also in chapter three, verse 10, and all three times it's used in a blessing. In chapter one and verse eight, Naomi says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And that prayer, that blessing, may the Lord deal kindly with you is going to be answered. And these prayers are going to propel the story forward. Like you said, it's a story about these people acting, but also about God providentially blessing them. And so we'll see these prayers for kindness and this honoring of Ruth's kindness, Naomi's kindness, Boaz's kindness, but ultimately God's kindness leading the way through the story. And so a main insight, I think, from chapter one, now I have a wonderful mother-in-law, but I think a lot of people, when thinking of close family members, might not think of mother-in-laws. This goes to what you were saying from the beginning, that there's there's different relationships in a family, and we might not think of all of those when we first think of that picture of 1950s family that shows up on the black and white <laughs> Nick at Night TV. But family is family, and we find it where we can. They had lost everybody. Ruth had lost a lot of family, but she still had someone she treasured as family. And, and to find loyalty and love like Ruth is to enjoy God's blessing of family. And you can just imagine the kind of woman and, and mother figure that Naomi was for Ruth to have this kind of honor and devotion. Yeah, this kind of connection that they have together, obviously they shared this tragic event. So you can imagine why they are binding so closely together. But it almost seems from time to time that like Naomi really wants to not get rid of Ruth, but she wants to like let her go, let her sort of like freeing her like a bird, you know, doesn't want her to to have to stick around with her and her pain and her depression almost. But like Ruth isn't going anywhere, which just shows you how much she values family. And so as you move into chapter two, that's really what you see starting to develop here, this closeness that they have. Ruth and Naomi, by extension, they start to get some care, probably not by somebody that they ever expected to, and this winds up being Boaz. So here in verses one to three of chapter two, Ruth begins to glean in Boaz's field. And we see in chapter two, verses four to 17, how he's providing for her but he's not making it very obvious. He's doing things behind the scene, kind of like covertly taking care of her, just making sure that she's well fed and everything, but trying not to make a big deal about it. And then finally, at the end of the chapter there in 18 to 23, Naomi gets this download about Ruth's day, you know, finding out like what's been happening. I love this verse here at the end where Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Chased. And so Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so we see this word in the second chapter, glean, used 12 times. Ruth is taking advantage of Boaz's kindness and of God's provision. It wasn't just Boaz who decided like, oh yeah, I'm going to leave some wheat in the corner of the field or whatever. This was something that God commanded his people to do. And so the two widows, they would certainly have had a hard time finding food 
if not for God making this allowance and instructing farmers not to strip their vineyards bare, that they should leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. He talks to them about in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10, how God wanted them to take care of the poor, take care of people who need to be taken care of. And what better way to take care of the poor people, but also to take care of poor family members. Boaz probably doesn't even know that this is happening right now, but he's going to find out. Yeah, you can really see God's plan and God's law working here as it was supposed to. As you get to chapter three, it makes me think of this proverb I heard years ago, like a Middle Eastern proverb, trust the Lord, tie your camel. It's like these two different (laughs) things. And what we have here is this action and prayer, prayer and action. They're asking God and none of this happens without God blessing them, but they're doing their part also. And so Naomi gives advice in verses one to five. Here's what I want you to do. Go to this man, dress yourself in a particular way. And then they have this meeting in the night, Boaz and Ruth in verses six to 13 in the field of Boaz. And in verses 14 to 18, Boaz gives Ruth grain for her and Naomi. And the key verse here, I think, is when he says in chapter three, verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This is Boaz talking. May you be blessed by Yahweh. You have made this last kindness. There it is. Here we are given that word again, greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And in the next verse after that, he calls her a worthy woman, which is, I think, the key word here that jumps out at me in this chapter. These two words, really, worthy woman, are the same two words that are translated in Proverbs 31, verse 10, an excellent wife or a worthy woman. But that famous picture at the end of the book of Proverbs of that woman of valor, sometimes this word for worthy is translated valiant or strong when talking about a warrior. This is an excellent woman. And he says, everybody knows that you're an excellent woman. And this same word for worthiness is used in chapter four, verse 11. And as you think about this story, it's a little bit of a dangerous situation, a little bit of a strange piece of the story here. You have to guess Naomi had a lot of confidence in Boaz's character, encouraging her to go out into the field at night, lie next to this powerful man. And they both handled this delicate situation with integrity. Back in chapter two, verse 12, Boaz had prayed that God would spread his wings over Ruth. And now Ruth has come to ask him to turn his prayer into action by spreading his own wing over Ruth. He says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And this is an important role in Israel. And this word, of course, is important throughout scripture. God is our redeemer. And that involves both our defense and this other aspect, helping in time of need. The redeemer's job in this case was to pick up the family line of the dead and preserve their name and inheritance. But even before Boaz does that, he shows his kindness in this gift of grain. And so where Naomi said back in chapter one, verse 21, the Lord has brought me back empty because she had lost so much when she was in Moab. Boaz uses the same word as he tells Ruth, you must not go back empty or empty handed, chapter three, verse 17. So he gives her all this grain to go with her. 
That's again, kindness, integrity. This is the kind of talk about a courtship that's built around following God's law and being gracious and good. I, I think it's a really beautiful story as we then lead into chapter four and its wonderful ending. Yeah. Trust the Lord, tie your camel, moves on to, I now pronounce you. <laughs> yeah. So chapter four here is where effectively they get married. But before they do that, there is this really cool interaction in verses one to 12, where Boaz is basically running around trying to redeem Ruth, but making sure that all of that happens above board, because there is someone else who should have a right before him to be her redeemer. And so he's got to go figure out, hey, does this guy actually want to take that charge? And if not, I'm going to do it. And then we move on verses 13 to 17. Marriage and babies happen, all kinds of exciting <laughs> things. And then we see at the very end of the chapter here, at the end of the book, verses 18 to 22, where David's family line is spelled out here in this genealogy. And I think the amazing thing that they say about Ruth here in the middle of this chapter are the words, we are witness, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And I think it's just so cool how these people are blessing and calling to Boaz and Ruth and really welcoming this outsider in. And I think that's, a, that's such a powerful piece of this story. That they're hearkening back to like Rachel and Leah talking about this Moabite woman, which is pretty neat. But we see this word redeem used 12 times here. And of course, mm -hmm. that's really one of the big focuses in this last chapter is how Boaz is, is buying her back and carrying on her line, as you talked about. And I just love how close Ruth and Naomi continue to be. Well, after Ruth and Boaz are married and have a baby, Naomi is still in the picture. She is at the point where she is putting their child onto her lap and all the neighborhood women are looking at her and saying, oh, that's Naomi's baby. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course, because Naomi's still in the picture. She is not an asterisk or a footnote on the story now at this point. She's still integral. And I think it's really cool to see how Boaz, he must have known how integral that Naomi was going to continue to be. And like you were talking about your mother-in-law, he knows that his new mother-in-law, so to speak, or I guess maybe not even mother-in-law, he's related to her in all kinds of different ways now, it seems. But Boaz and Naomi, their relationship is going to continue on into the future. And it's just so cool to see the family bonds that they all share together just getting stronger and stronger all the way to the very end here. Yeah, it, it really is a story about family lost and restored and that picture at the end of that restoration to Naomi of what she had lost is really the mirror image the opposite of the the beginning the prologue is a list of names that disappear yeah. leaving Naomi alone by chapter 1 verse 5 she's not even called by name she's just the woman and like she's lost her whole identity and later she says in chapter one, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, call me Mara or bitter. And so then we get to this epilogue and like the prologue, it's a list of names. It's a new family. And so it's all a celebration of the gift of family. And even when the story is bleakest in all the middle between that prologue and epilogue, there's still this surprising bond of family. Naomi hasn't lost everything. 
because she has Ruth, who is better to her than seven sons, as yeah. they'll say. And then this righteous man, Boaz, bringing hope. So it really is, it's a celebration of many things, but among them, it certainly highlights the gift of God that he brings in family. I think here, this whole story, maybe just rereading it again, hits me in the feels in a different way than maybe it might have <laughs> last year. You know, just thinking about being two women who are widows now in the kind of society that they were living. And this whole idea yeah. of having a redeemer or having somebody to carry on the family line or even just having somebody to like literally provide a meal for you because you cannot yeah. do that for yourself. I mean, this just must have been the most challenging thing for them to deal with. And, you know, I know even in our modern society with our care and our social security and our retirement plans and all the things that we have saved up, I mean, being a widow or a widower, even in today's society, may not be as hard as it was then, but it still is a lot to deal with. And family yeah. was super integral to leading them into this prosperity and into this happiness at the end of the story. And for us, family does the same thing. We can bind together with our family. We can lead people through dark times and we can be there to support people who we may never even thought that we would have had to support. Yeah, this is uh, this means a lot to me, I think, this story in a way that I not really thought about very much. It, it is. It's really beautiful. And I think everybody can relate to so many different aspects of this story, even yeah. though we're, like you said, so far removed from two widows in the ancient Near East. It speaks to a, a plight and a kind of devotion that we feel in our families and want to experience and, and so many different things. You know, whenever death comes into the family, how do we handle that? How do we get through and how does the Lord bless us and continue to give us hope? Yeah, it's so cool. Anyway, so moving on here, let's get into our third segment and that is our reach out question. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Yeah, so our reach out question is how have you seen your role in your family change over the years? Brian, as you think about where you were, I remember your wedding day. You were a crazy red-haired boy that was uh, making jokes all around, and now I see you with uh, a preteen daughter, and uh, you oh, know man. you're you're caring for your mom and and your bride. What has changed? What everything? <laughs> I mean, it, it's so funny. You were talking about how Naomi's situation changed so drastically from the beginning chapter to the end, but then you know mm. you think about your own life, and I remember back to that day. You know, just even a few days after our wedding and thinking about how I knew something was very different in my situation when I was living with this amazing new woman who I'd never been with before and just so excited to be a husband and all these things. And like just a week before that, I was at the bottom of the totem pole, right? <laughs> like in my house, I was the, the lowest person on the food chain. And now as a as a husband, as a leader in my house, now I'm at the very top. And it was a shock to me, I think, in a big way. Like, just thinking about my responsibilities and what I was called to do and what I needed to provide for her for and all these things. And I think over the years for me, it's just, there's been a slow progression back down to the bottom of the totem pole. Not, not in a way that, like, I don't have authority because obviously, you know, as I become more responsible and as I became a dad and and all these things, like, I feel like there's a lot more weight on my shoulders, but I think I'm learning more and more all the time to just 
serve, <laughs> to get back mm-hmm. down and be the kind of person who just needs to be providing opportunities for other people to shine in my family. And that's been a difficult thing to learn. Like you go from kind of the low, go, go to up to the high, and then you kind of have to figure out like to find an equilibrium there at some point. Whereas I used to be, like you said, like a crazy red haired jokester. Now I'm a little more stoic and I'm a little more like thoughtful about my interactions and the way that my daughter sees me and trying to see the opportunities that I have to be more of a servant, more of a leader, more opportunities to sacrifice for my family writ large, you know, all the people in my family, my my in-laws, all kinds of people that I love so dearly. And yeah, my mom factors into that too, which has been a weird dynamic to learn over the last couple of months. But it's it's so amazing to see that no matter where you are in life, you always have an opportunity to turn to those people who are the closest to you and just learn a new way to to be with them. Because every day there's probably calling for something different. I really relate to that, what you described, that picture. I love that visual of going to the top of the totem and then realizing, actually, no, that means going to the bottom of the totem. <laughs> you know, we we don't lead like the the Gentiles do, right? As Jesus talked Lording about. Lording it over them, yeah. yeah. Lording it over, yeah. Learning to get, just constantly realizing there's more that I can give. And I need to give it. That's my, you know, there's more that I can give up. There's more that I can take off of my wife's plate, or there's more that I can just constantly learning. I thought I was maxing out, but no, I'm not maxing out and constantly (laughs) learning to love and sacrifice and serve, which man, boy, do I have a long way to go. But it's, it's like, that has been a defining aspect of the journey. And I think I also relate to how you talked about being the jokester. I don't know if I was the jokester, but I think in our marriage, kind of like I talked about with Nadia, I brought lightness early on in our relationship. (laughs) But as we've matured and grown, a lot of my job is to bring stability, to be a rock, to be the steadying influence in the whole house. And just to, to be aware of kind of the ups and downs that everybody's always on. There's a lot of strong personalities in this house with my wife and the four kids and me and just kind of learning to kind of hold it all together. I think at my best, that's definitely a role I need to play. Yeah, it's definitely a daily struggle trying to figure out like, what does today call for? What what uh, type of family member should I be today? Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. You know, every day is going to be a different different challenge to overcome, but I think Yeah, being a stabilizing force, being a servant in your home, if you can really be pushing towards those kinds of aspirational goals, probably a good situation. So let's move into our weekly challenge for this week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. All right, so the challenge that we're going to do together and we encourage you to do with us is to share with a family member how they've blessed your life. And I know there's probably somebody in your life that you can think of who's just been an amazing impact on you. And I know from my family, and if I could just sort of share for a little bit here, like my family doesn't talk to each other very often about our feelings. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, throw your arm around somebody that you love and you care about and just say thanks for the impact that they've made on you. I think that's a, a really powerful way of sending a message that 
that you appreciate somebody. Man, I feel like all anybody talks about around here is our feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That's a difference in your family versus mine, for sure. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of feelings happening around here. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully you can find a lot of family members that have blessed your life. And, you know, you can broaden the definition of family, like we said, as much as think about the people who have been like a mother to you as well, or like a just a dear brother. And I think this challenge leads us to two important steps. First, you have to think about the blessing that people are in your life. And that just brings that gratitude. It's like counting your blessings, gratefully appreciating. And then you get to go and build someone up by expressing that appreciation. I think those are two really important steps that can not only affect them, but really have an impact on you as you strengthen those bonds of family in your life. Well, I think this has been a good conversation. Honestly, we all have different family situations, and I think we acknowledge that like right off the bat. So if you felt at all alienated (laughs) by this conversation, I hope that at the very least, like we were just trying to do there, that you can at least broaden out the concept of family to thinking about your spiritual family. And what an amazing blessing that God has given us in these relationships that we have and that we learn through every day. And I think that kind of leads us, as we wrap this thing up, to go to God in prayer. And there's a suggested prayer in the study guide that says, Holy Father, teach us how to honor you as we've learned to honor our earthly fathers. And I think, you know, it's just such an interesting verse here in Hebrews 12 that talks about the respect that we learn toward God by first respecting our earthly fathers. And it's cool just to think about how God is like, training us to know how to relate to him, to know how to relate to each other, really, by giving us these relationships on earth that we can start to see almost a shadow of those that we'll have with him. And so let's go to God in prayer as we thank him for the great and amazing gift of our families. Our holy God, our Father in heaven, what an amazing blessing that you are to us every day. You've shown us what's good in the middle of a world that's full of darkness and sin. You've illuminated us and shown us what life is all about and what amazing things we have prepared for us. We're so grateful that we've been able to have this time to think about our families and the good things that you've poured into our lives through their love and through their influence over us. We pray that as we are learning to trust you more and more and honor your great name, that we would see that kind of training ground that we've had here on earth with our own earthly fathers. We thank you so much for the relationships that we've developed with our brothers and sisters, with our parents, with those who we love so dearly, we pray that you will bind us together in unity with those in our own households, that we can grow stronger in our service to you. We ask that you would give us patience with each other, and we ask that you would show us new ways to serve each other every day. Lead us to sharpen each other as we walk together down that narrow road that leads to life. Please help us to always put you first, before our parents, before our spouses, before our children. And while we pray that we would never have to face that choice, we ask for clarity and for resolve if that day ever comes. Please give us courage to stand like Joshua did, united with our family to serve you. We thank you for this time and this conversation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we'll be going on from family to friendship in the next (laughs) conversation. Seems obvious, right? Yeah, I mean, it fits together. It's another great blessing. That will be our eighth guided study. And to prepare for that, I want to encourage everybody to do a little bit of scripture reading. John chapter 15, verses 13 to 15, 
Proverbs 27, verses 5 to 17, and 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 4, will all help you prepare for that conversation. I don't know if we need to say anything about how good friends are. Maybe we don't even need that next episode. We'll just, <laughs> it's, it's marked down as noted that friends are good and a blessing from God, but are good. I guess Can we I will. get an amen? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 160. You can also follow along with this guided study on our website as well. Go to BibleGeeks.fm slash good. And there you will find all the conversation starters, all the downloadable study guides that you can follow along with us. And we'd appreciate it so much if you'd share these things with a friend. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.